0: If you turn your Bibles now to Judges chapter 21, as we come to the preaching of God's Word, before we read our text and hear the preaching, let's ask God to bless the preaching of His Word and open our hearts to receive it. Father in heaven, we come to you now to hear the preaching of your Word, Lord, where you're words of life are opened up to us. May we receive them with humility, with meekness, with eagerness that you are the God who speaks today through broken men like myself. Yet your gospel, your good news, the truth of your salvation is proclaimed. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Judges chapter 21, hear now the reading of the word of the Lord. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? for they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin, their dear brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord at Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, and also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead four hundred young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimon, and proclaimed peace to them. And Benjamin returned at that time. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive from the women of Jabesh Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the, pe- and the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For the people of Israel had sworn, cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin." So they said, Behold, there is a yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem in the south of Labona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Grant them graciously to us, because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so, and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. We come now to the end of Judges, this book, eight months later since our beginning, July 2nd, this past summer. Judges is a fascinating book and is quite possibly one of the most difficult books, as we have seen, and it does not end any easier. It is the one book that ends in complete darkness. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, everyone doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they are without a king, no leader. And we see the outfall of this among these people. This is a continuation, Judges chapter 21, of what we saw in the last two chapters, where first a Levite, the part of the priesthood of Israel, the tribe, takes a concubine to himself and ultimately gives her up to a disastrous situation where she is taken advantage of, and then she is eventually killed and put to death. And we see that this Levite was involved in this murder of his own Concubine, his own wife, the people of Israel rise up to bring judgment on this city that had committed this atrocity, and they go and judge this tribe, Benjamin, because they stood in defense of this city and the men who committed this atrocity. But the whole tribe of Benjamin was nearly wiped out in this process, as we saw in chapter twenty. All the men, the women, and the children, and all the towns of Benjamin were put to death except for these 600 remaining warriors who are hiding out in this rock of rimmon. And we come now to the conclusion of this disaster, of this horrible situation where Israel has to figure out a way to preserve this remaining tribe of Benjamin. And that's where we come today. What is the Lord doing? Or where, where is the Lord in all of this circumstance? What are we to think of this? What does this have to do with anything in our lives, this ending of Judges in a circumstance of what feels like complete and total darkness? Well, I'd like us to see this morning that there is good news for us in this passage as this book of Judges ends. It is a people awaiting a king, a people waiting for a king to come to set everything right. To, to execute justice and righteousness, to defend those who are mistreated and abused, to stand and make righteous judgments. So there is a people awaiting a king. But first, we must deal with this text before us today. And there is a problem that this text is trying to resolve. The tribe of Benjamin no longer has any wives. And they had made an oath, we hear repeatedly in this passage. They made an oath that none of the people of Israel would give to them their daughters as wives. So effectively, a tribe is going to be exterminated. They're going to die out. And they realize this sadness that has, been, that has occurred among them. How will Israel solve this problem? How will they take care of this disaster that has happened? Will they own their own responsibility in bringing this about? Well, ultimately, this is a terrible situation with no good solution. It's a picture of what men do when they trust in themselves, when they do what is right in their own eyes, when they do what they think is best. Not when they turn to the Lord and ask Him for guidance and for wisdom. It is what men do when they rely upon their own wisdom to take care of the disasters and terrible situations in life. And our text comes to us in two structures, in two ways. There's a first attempt to resolve the problem, but it's not ultimately fully successful. They only provide 400 of the wives for these 600 men, and then there is a second attempt to complete this process. And then at the end, we will see this picture for us of a people awaiting a king. So the situation is of, an evil tri- of a tribe in Israel on the brink of extinction, and this must be rectified. But Israel has wiped out virtually everyone in this tribe, men, women, and children, except these 600 remaining soldiers hiding out in this rock of Rimen. But we need to understand there are several things that Israel has done to themselves that make this all the more complex more difficult for themselves. They have brought themselves into a situation where there's no good solution. There's three things that they do to themselves that make this an almost impossible situation to bring good. First, they acted in their own interests and in their pursuit of justice on their own terms. Yes, they brought judgment on this town of Gibeah where this atrocity against this woman occurred. But they didn't stop there. Their own pursuit of justice almost brought a tribe to extinction. They are, in essence, have put themselves in this situation. Secondly, we we learn at the very beginning of chapter 21 that they have made a vow. They have sworn to not do something. They have vowed not to give their daughters to this remaining tribe. It is likely a vow that was taken before they went to war. Realizing what was going to happen in this circumstance. At some point, they were being vindictive towards Gibeah and towards Benjamin's protection. That's the old eye for an eye. You take one of our wives, this concubine, then we we won't give you any of ours. Except it's not an eye for an eye, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth and a leg and an arm. It's their sense of justice. Something ironic is happening here, as one commentator notes. Israel, in this circumstance, the only time they vow not to intermarry in the entire book of Judges is against one of their own tribes. The very beginning of Judges, in chapter 3, we're told that the tribes of Israel were giving their wives in marriage to the other nations around them who were the enemies of Israel. And they were taking the nations, the wives of the nations around them as their own wives. But here the only time that Israel promises not to give their wives in marriage is to their own brothers. We see the predicament that Israel has created for themselves. And their anguish, their foolishness and folly is on display here. And so they cry out to God. They go to Mizpah and sacrifice to the Lord. Asking the Lord, what shall we do? And the text turns again. We notice often in the book of Judges that something new happens each time there is a new day. Verse 4, And the next day the people rose early, built there an altar, and the people of Israel said, Which of the tribes of Israel did not come up in the, to the assembly of the Lord? Why has this happened? The people of Israel cry out. Well, now the author of Judges is letting us know the answer to this question. There is no answer from the Lord here, there is no response from God in this situation. Instead, the first response is from their brothers instead of continuing to wait to hear from the Lord for his instruction to them of what they are to do, the first thing they do the next day is they listen to their brothers. Human wisdom. This new council arrives. It's like they've been sleeping overnight trying to figure out how to resolve this situation. And morning comes and their brothers bring a potential solution to them. There must be somebody who didn't go to war. And they make this third vow that we learn of, likely again made before they actually go into battle. They swore to kill any clan that did not join them in this. This was probably an effort to summon everybody together to get them to go to battle. If you don't join us in battle, we're going to kill you. That's a good way to get people to join you in a fight, is it not? They made this vow to not give their daughters. They made this vow to kill anybody who doesn't join them. But now they see a way out of their situation. It creates an opportunity to resolve their circumstance. They're reminded of their foolish first vow, and now they want to figure out how to resolve this situation. They realize that Jabesh Gilead, this town in Israel, wasn 't there when that vow was made not to give their wives, so they can take from this tribe and give their wives to the Benjaminite tribes. They find they take matters in their own hands so that they can remain righteous, not breaking their own vow, and that they can also fulfill their goal to provide wives. For this remaining tribe. They'll kill Jabesh Gilead. And take virgins from them. As wives for Benjamin. It's a human way. To resolve this problem. A way to remain. What appears as righteous. But is actually not. It's mere self interest. But then something comes. In this passage. That is unique again in Israel. So the congregation, verse 10, sent 12,000 of their bravest men there. And then verse 11 at the end, every male, every woman that has lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. That word devote to destruction occurs twice in the book of Judges. Once here at the very end and once at the very beginning of Judges. It is the word harem, where we get harem warfare. If you want to go back, eight months and listen to the sermon on July 2nd, you can remember what this harem warfare is. But it is a word for the utter destruction of every living thing. It is what Israel was to do to those who were the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to them. They were to purge everything from this land that was evil, men, women, and children. There is none righteous, not even one. But Israel only accomplishes this twice in their history at least in the book of Judges. Once, the tribe of Judah and Simeon, in Judges chapter 1, 1 verse 17, and Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. But now here at the end of Judges, the only other time that Israel accomplishes harem warfare is against their own brothers. The only time they promise not to give wives in intermarriage is against their own brothers. The only time they execute, again, this disastrous thing of harem warfare is against their own brothers. It's a complete inversion of the situation in Israel. The author is letting us know his thoughts without telling us directly. Israelite has become like the nations around them. And they take these young women, This same word for young woman that we saw in chapter 19, used of the young woman who was abused, raped, and murdered. They have become just like the people they judged. And instead of breaking their own vow, acknowledging as the Lord provides in the Old Testament that if you make a foolish vow that you can there's a way to remedy this situation instead of breaking their own vow and give their daughters as wives they break their vow to commit to kill everyone and keep alive 400 of these. They had made a vow to kill everyone. But they're only willing to make to break certain vows. They're looking out for themselves. As one writer notes in essence, the ends justify the means. Whatever means are necessary And this shows us the lengths that men, humankind, will go to justify themselves, that our actions are just. But as the author of Judges shows us, it's simply doing what is right in their own eyes. The evil that you and I will commit in order to make sure we feel justified. Instead of turning to the Lord and confessing, our weakness, and our frailty. Instead of confessing our foolishness that has brought us into the circumstances, we try and find all kinds of ways to change the circumstance so we can be preserved and the situation can be resolved. Brothers and sisters, it is only in the mercy of God that acknowledging Him to do with us as He wills that we can ever find any peace and rest. This is what Israel should have done. Lord, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted in our own wisdom, done what is right in our own eyes. We will wait until you give us word what we are to do with this tribe of Benjamin. But like Israel, we pursue our own ends, justifying our actions and walking all over anyone who stands in our path. How desperately you and I need to cast ourselves on the mercy of God, to wait for him, to wait for him to act, to accomplish his justice and his timing. Now Israel accomplishes this harem warfare, and then they can only provide 400 of the the 600 wives that are needed. There's 200 more that are needed. So then again, they devise this next plan what shall we do, verse 16, for those who are left? They declare, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin. You can hear almost their self-righteous assurances in their hearts, that a tribe may not be blotted out for us. So they said, behold, there is, in verse 19, there is a yearly feast at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel. On the east highway that goes up, and they commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. Israel provides these 400 wives, and now they devise a new ambush. A very similar circumstance that we saw in chapter 19 of men waiting in ambush outside the house of the young woman, the Levite, and the host mirroring, in many ways, the disaster. Israel remembers that they have an obligation to fulfill here, to provide wives. But in this next one, they devise a plan so that their fellow Israelite brothers have no recourse in this situation. Barry Webb, one commentator, says, if the fathers and brothers of these young women become angry when they steal their wives, which they will be, mind you, they try to reason with them. There's no reason for going to war at the thieving of our daughter, of your daughters and sisters. And this is what they say to them. Because ultimately they weren't captured in battle, there's no reason for going to war. And good news for you, tribe. You won't be guilty of breaking the vow because you're not giving them in marriage. So you get to keep the vow that we all made you're safe, and ultimately you should have compassion on this tribe by giving your daughters to them. So fathers and brothers who are angry at your daughters being taken, everything is taken care of. Let's let this situation resolve itself. In essence, Israel has strong-armed these men to accept watching their daughters and sisters be taken away to preserve this tribe but it's still robbery. The text uses very deliberate words in this passage. It is thieving, ultimately. They take them. And these women are treated as mere property property to be bartered over and taken away, regardless of the impact. It is a complete inversion of the first wife in Israel in the book of Judges. A woman named Aksa, if you remember, was the daughter of Caleb, this mighty warrior who was a part of the tribe of Judah. And he offered his daughter as one who could be won in battle if a city was taken. She was held out as one to be fought for, to be won in chivalry, as a knight fights for the hand of a princess, and here, Aksa, at the beginning of Judges, Judges chapter 1, was a woman dignified by her father and dignified by her future husband, Othniel, the first judge. But here it is the complete opposite situation. Wives are simply taken, treated as property, not being fought for, and instead stolen, without any recourse. Israel has brought themselves into this situation and God has left them to find a way out. God leaves them to themselves and they do what is right in their own eyes. And in the final moment of these religious ceremonies, offering sacrifices, tears, and sorrow is only met with silence from God. There is no word from the Lord here. Israel as a whole ends up mirroring the men of Gibeah, taking what they want, justifying their own behavior. Evil is only remedied with more evil. And so often this is how justice happens in this life. As if one atrocity is resolved with another atrocity. And there is one last issue here at the end of Judges. At the end, it tells us, Judges is full of the men doing what is right in their own eyes. And the whole book of Judges portrays over and over as it descends deeper and deeper in its despair of, in particular, their mistreatment of women. As Israel descends deeper and deeper into apostasy, idolatry, and wickedness, The singular feature that is drawn out in Israel is their abuse of women. From Gideon keeping a concubine to himself, to Jephthah's sacrifice of his own daughter, to the Levite giving his own wife up to abuse and death, and now to the pillaging of the people of Israel for wives. What we see is in the land of Israel, when men do, when the people do what is right in their own eyes, the weak the defenseless among them suffer, and in particular, the women. And it is no coincidence that the book that immediately follows the book of Judges is Ruth, a portrayal of a virtuous, righteous woman, and the portrayal of a beautiful marriage. A woman who was living in the time of Judges, as you read in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And we learn in Ruth of a woman who is the grandmother of the coming king, King David. And it is one of the greatest pictures of love in the whole Old Testament. And Judges leaves us longing for a king who will set things right. Who will treat women with the dignity that they are called to be treated with. As Aksa herself was treated One who, a king of a people who long for the king to reign justly. A longing for a king who will seek his bride in justice and honor and dignity. This is what Judges is portraying for us. Not simply a king, but a king who pursues his bride, a king who loves his bride who cherishes his bride. And to us today, that king has come. The king of Israel has come for his bride. As we will sing in a moment, from heaven he came and sought her. As we confess from the Nicene Creed, from heaven he came down to seek his bride. This book longs for a king to come to protect, to defend, to look after, to care for his people, his bride. This book ultimately longs for Jesus Christ. It longs for the king who would come and instead of keeping her for his own personal pleasure like Gideon, that he would give himself up for her sake, that he might bring her joy. It longs for a king who would, instead of putting her up on the altar to die for himself, as Jephthah did, that he would put himself on the altar and die for her folly. It longs for a king who, instead of casting her outside to the ruthless crowd to be abused and killed to protect himself, longs for a king who protects her by going outside himself. To the ruthless crowd to be abused and killed for her sake. And instead of pillaging his wife from his brothers, he would rescue her from her enemies. This is the picture of the Savior of Israel, of the Savior of the people of God. Do you know this? Do you know that this is what Christ has done for you? What Christ has done to give himself for your sake. He is the true husband, the king of heaven, who has come down to seek his bride so that he might nourish her, that he might cherish her, to cleanse her, and to make her beautiful. So we live now in this life, awaiting when our king will come and return to bring us home with him, to love us, to nourish us, to cherish us, to care for us, to defend us from all his and our enemies. So brothers and sisters, rest in Jesus Christ, who is the true king who has come to save his people Israel out of all of their wickedness, all of their evil, to save you out of all of your wickedness, all of your evil, and he will clothe you with beauty and his righteousness. So trust in Jesus Christ. Rest in him. And eagerly await his coming when he shall come again to bring you home to heaven with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful with words that cannot be expressed in the depths of our hearts, for your giving and sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus, to come and rescue us. Lord, what an amazing King you have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we acknowledge that we are so much like Israel. But we are grateful that you have given a King who has clothed us in his righteousness and that we are received not because of our own good works, but because of what you have done in Christ for us. Would you remind us of this today and this this week? Would you fill our hearts with joy and hope and expectation of the love of Christ for his church, the love of Christ for us, his people? And Lord, if there are those who do not know you, that do not know and trust in Jesus Christ, would you draw them with the love of Christ for sinners, who gives himself, who laid down his life for their sake?